Meet the Problem Solvers. I'm Judy Perlman. In these days of COVID-19 really um, taking over so much of our lives internally and externally, we're focused in this series on um, addressing concerns that are very real for people. And so our series today focuses on the emotional and psychological elements of uh, life under the COVID uh, restrictions and uncertainties. My guest today is Laura Hudson. She's a clinical social worker at the Boston Healthcare for the Homeless program. Thank you for joining me, Laura. Let's dive right into it. Uh, tell, help us put some language and some parameters on what it is we may all be going through right now. Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Judy, and thank you for, for diving into this segment and, and sort of exploring together how we can best support each other and also support ourselves too. Um, so to answer your first question, I think that really important to acknowledge that all of us are under tremendous stress right now and and likely experiencing a lot of grief. Um, I think what's tricky about grief is that people often associate grief grief with with death, which is true. And also I think it can be expanded to grieving the loss of a lot of things right now. It could be loss of structure or routine, um, loss of hobbies or activities, um, in some cases loss of jobs and 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 in some cases too, loss of family or friends. Um, and I think that that can also create a tremendous amount of stress and come out in different ways that we might not know how to put words to. Um, some ways that, that grief or stress represent itself is that you may find that you're feeling more down or irritable than usual. Um, you may find that you have a difficult time concentrating on tasks. Um, in some cases, you may even find yourself feeling numb. Um, and I think a really important part of, of self-care and being kind to yourself is allowing yourself to, to recognize what might be happening, um, calling it grief, calling it stress, putting a name to it, um, and, and normalize what you're experiencing. Yeah. And, and another part of a very real part of what we're all going through is this kind of sense of isolation where, where our lives are much constrained than they, much more constrained. And also this loss of control, mm -hmm. a sense of we don't know what's going to happen next, and even a loss of kind of a, a sense of trust and knowledge that um, somebody out there really understands what's going on and is telling us in a planful way. Everyone, Everyone. kind of figuring out anew what's, what's going on. Mm -hmm. I guess as you and I have talked about, that kind of uncertainty can, can really reverberate even more for people who have been struggling with mental health or substance challenges uh, before as well as during this time of COVID. And we wanted to talk about sort of speaking to those people, but also speaking to people who are concerned about people in their lives. What are some productive ways to reach out and offer support? So thanks for taking us into this next piece. Yeah, of course. So I, if I were to, to venture a guess, I think that if we have folks in our lives that we're concerned about, I, I doubt that that concern is new with coronavirus. I imagine instead that it's probably amplified with coronavirus. Um, I think a really helpful first step, and it, it sounds both obvious, I think it's really helpful, is, is reaching out more to those that you're concerned about, um, making a phone call, doing a Zoom chat. <laughs> Um, and reaching out more um, and, and calling and saying, hey, I, I'm feeling really anxious during this time. I'm feeling really, um, really angry 
and allowing it to be a point of connection. Um, and also asking the question of saying, hey, I, I imagine you might be experiencing these same things. How can I best support you during this time? Um, and you may also find too that you might receive support from reaching out to and, and being able to say, hey, I would really appreciate if you could support me in this way this time and having it be a two-way street. Um, I, as even before coronavirus has um, been present, I think that you know, solidarity is, is one of our greatest strengths. Um, and I think that it's even more so true now, just that solidarity is, um, is we're doing that in more creative ways of connecting to one another. Mm -hmm. and, and not just reaching out once and saying, I did that, but telling the person, I'm gonna to continue to reach out. I wanna see how you are doing. And I hope that you'll do the same and sort of opening up that pathway is another thing that I think can help people feel less alone. Absolutely. Just, and to say, hey, if you need a friend to talk to at any time, if you're concerned about your well-being or you're concerned about, um, I mean, in some cases, if you're concerned about your use of alcohol or drugs, please feel free to call and I'll support you the best I can. I think yeah. it normalizes what, what we're all going through. Absolutely. So let's talk about helping ourselves and helping our loved ones uh, with some interest, with some strategies. What are some strategies that we've generated? That we've generated? Sure, um, Judy, I think you made a really good point earlier that during this time there, um, we're getting a lot of different information. I think this time feels like there has been a loss of control in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that a great way to, to carry it for yourself is focusing on what is in your control. Maybe that's deciding to go take a walk around um, around the neighborhood. Um, maybe that is, you know, using all of these apps that are disposal right now for exercise. Um, also too, taking breaks from, from the news and social media can be extremely helpful and um, can remind ourselves that to a large degree um, or to some degree, we do have control over how much information we're taking in about coronavirus. Um, I think we do a really great job of trying to quarantine ourselves sort of physically, but I think there's an app that apply to our, to our emotional health too, of, of taking a break saying, hey, this is gonna be a, a corona-free, coronavirus-free zone um, to, to take a break and give yourself a break. Um, yeah, those are a few. Yeah, those are good ideas. Well, another thing that we know is that um, a lot of groups, support groups, have moved online, and so there are online smart recovery groups, Alcohol Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step programs. A lot of programs offer Zoom platforms or, or other platforms to stay connected. And talking to people who are, who are grappling with the same things that we're grappling with can be really helpful. So that was one thing that we also wanted to make sure to say is look for those. Absolutely. I think too, there. Um, during this time, a lot of healthcare providers, a lot of therapists, counselors have actually moved to something called telehealth visits or, or visits that are done over Zoom or by phone call. And um, I think that's really important to know that during this time, people may find that if they're connected with a therapist, I think they have to disconnect. Um, and it may actually be the opposite that in a lot of ways, therapy may be more accessible now either if you are looking to continue with the therapist that you're seeing or you're looking to start, um, know that telehealth is, is available 
Um, also, some insurance companies too have actually been waiving co-pays for telehealth visits, which means that nowadays even access therapy for free from your home, which is really amazing. I think um, a helpful resource to know. That is amazing. I was so so thrilled to hear that from you, and I hope that that will be helpful to other people. Mm -hmm. And you know, in in um, some maybe a less structured way, there may be times that you want to just talk to somebody. So there's there are things called hotlines, and there are things called warm lines. Mm -hmm. um, maybe just help us understand those the different. Sure. Sure. So hotlines, um, I imagine a lot of people have heard of, and we actually wanted to provide some resources there. If, if either yourself or one of your, your loved ones, um, friends or family might be in a crisis situation, um, there are hotlines available. Um, if there is sort of an immediate safety concern, of course, call 911. Um, if you're in the Boston area or in surrounding areas, there's something called the BEST team, the Boston Emergency Services team, that will provide on evaluation um, and treatment and referrals um, for folks that may be experiencing a mental health emergency. Um, and their number is 1-800-981-4357. Um, Judy also mentioned two warm lines that um, different from, from hotlines that are used during a crisis situation. Warm lines are where if you, you'd like to talk to someone, um, but it may not be a crisis situation, but like to process or just have someone to connect with. There are phone numbers out there that will connect you, um, connect you to someone to chat. In some cases, even peers, like peer support lines. Right, and we have a phone number for a warm line that uh, you can call if you're in Massachusetts. It's 877-733-7563. And uh, I also have a number for a national um, hotline when things are hotter. That's 800 273-TALK, T-A-L-K. Well, Laura, I think we're about at the end of our time. I really want to thank you. Um, I guess my takeaways from this whole working on this episode is um, acknowledging how stressful this is on me and on everyone in my life, and it's making it easier for me and others, I think, to reach out and just express solidarity and consistency with others. And don't be afraid to do it. You probably won't be bothering someone. If they do feel bothered, they'll probably let you know. Any other closing thoughts or uh, exhortations from you? I don't think so. Thank you so much again for having me, Judy. And I hope that, that folks will be kind uh, towards themselves during this time and find time to band together. Um, so thank you so much again for having me. Thank you, Laura. Take care. You too. My guest today is Brittany Jones. Brittany works as a, an associate social worker in LA County, Los Angeles, California. She works there with justice-involved individuals. Many of them also have mental health diagnoses and almost all of them have histories of trauma and other barriers to well-being. Our show today is really dedicated to COVID-19 and its effect on fragile populations like the one that Brittany works with, and also thinking about the systems of care by which we are hopefully supporting people with these challenges and talking a little bit about what we've learned about um, the robustness or the fragility of our ability to serve people. So Brittany, thank you very much. Welcome to Meet the Problem Solvers. 
Thank you so much for having me on. How are you? Good. Uh, worried. I mean, I think we're all worried. And as you and I have talked in preparation for this show, I feel really worried about the number of people who are fragile and vulnerable. In fact, I'm going to take a minute and just put up a slide that really speaks to the number of people at risk. What we hear, see here is that 13% of adults have mental illness and 5% of adults will be incarcerated in their lifetime. So these very, very challenging effects um, affect a lot of people. So Brittany, tell us a little bit about your program that you've been running and let's just dive right in. Or not yes. what you've been working in. Yeah, so I currently work with a Department of Mental Health um, contracted agency over here in Los Angeles. Uh, we work with individuals who um, have a history of incarceration, um, have mental health diagnoses, and are released out into the community to uh, receive community mental health. So um, typically uh, they come out, um, they're placed in interim housing sites uh, where they can stay, uh, get some care, and they come uh, receive therapy, medication if needed, and also uh, attend uh, groups to help them with um, developing a mental health toolbox so that they can be successful um, out in the community. So a, a group of them come right out, um, out, of, out of incarceration into what you call interim housing. And as we talked about that before, that's what we think of as halfway houses, sort of maybe two or three people sharing a room, congregate meals. Is, is that the model? I mean, is that what we should be envisioning for that group? Yes, for the most part, it is like a, um, what we traditionally would think of as a halfway home. Uh, people are sharing rooms, uh, they receive their meals, um, they might do some groups there, but primarily it's a place for them to live and stabilize before um, they get independent housing. So the program that I'm working with actually is a housing uh, first model. And that means that we're trying to provide people with the skills and the resources to get them into housing, uh, permanent supportive housing where they can uh, be successful, um, live on their own um, potentially, um, and you know have a space for themselves. So that's the goal. Uh, when they first uh, leave um, being incarcerated, they primarily are in these interim sites though, however. And then some group of your, of your clients then move on to their own ind independent housing and you evolve your support for them? Yeah, so after a few months, um, they, a lot of the clients end up uh, doing treatment with us, coming in, meeting with us, and uh, we kind of make a plan for them to move into housing. So they receive a third-party voucher, it partners with um, landlords here in the city, um, and we're just able to uh, get them housing in the community. Uh, so we, we always want to make sure that they're supported. We check in with them. We help them learn how to do things like paying rent and, and getting your bills and making sure that their um, social security is turned on and all that kind of stuff if they do receive right. it. So let's just, just as we sort of can think again about what your program kind of as a microcosm of social services that serve an awful lot of people in this nation. 
there's a mix of a housing, a place that they're living. There's a mix of support for them, um, you know, building their own income or building their own uh, individual uh, plan for their own future. But there's also a lot of therapy groups, support groups, all kinds of things that your organization is the fabric that is really trying to help them move, move outward with greater independence and, and health. Yeah, so that's very true. Um, not only do we provide that support with the housing, we also do uh, provide um, groups, whether those are mental health groups, um, substance, substance groups as well, we really try and support them. And then there is the component of uh, the kind of like um, case management, uh, daily tasks, making sure that they can get to the county buildings um, to get, you know, if they need, um, EBT or uh, if they want to sign up for um, social security benefits. Um, so we really support them through that process because it is a multi-level process and it can be very challenging. So I don't mean to cut you off, but I mean, let's just think about what COVID-19 has done in all of our lives. I mean, one day we were out in our offices and working and then all of a sudden we were told to shelter in place, stay where we are, and really to minimize contact through social distancing. So right. I think I'd like to ask you to kind of put us in the picture of how the COVID-19 like arriving has so drastically changed the lives and uh, well-being of the clients that you've been working with. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, here in Los Angeles, we really started to get a lot of information about uh, COVID-19 at the beginning part of March. Um, so we were trying to continue with the groups. Uh, we were, I would say on a Friday, we were doing the groups, but we were trying, because we were trying to keep some normalcy for the clients. Um, and then by that Monday, um, all the groups had been canceled. By that point, um, the social security building um, and the county buildings were all closed. Um, those individuals who are court involved, uh, the courts went down to only um, doing a few appointments. Um, so basically their framework, um, and that's one of the things that we talk a lot about um, with our clients as far as like uh, mental health, it's important to have a routine and a schedule and you know, be able to like uh, do task to task, all of that was basically um, canceled or <laughs> closed or moved around. So um, a lot of our individuals that I work with, the clients, they either had to stay in their interim site uh, basically with everyone. So the interim sites also locked down um, saying that, you know, people couldn't really come in and out or um, those individuals who are in um, permanent housing um, independently uh, were told to stay in their house. So. Right, so, so either they were crowded and uh, crowded in without the ability to really go outside or they were individually isolated. Yes. Let's, let's talk about communication, which is such an important part of the way that you and, and in fact, if we are thinking about the larger social service system, communicating with clients and with clients' ability to communicate with you and with each other and be part of groups, talk, talk a little bit about how that has changed and your, your view of that. 
Yeah, so one of the challenge that's actually one of the bigger challenges um, of this situation uh, for our individuals who are in interim sites. Um, I would say probably two or three days after a lot of the offices started to close, uh, we attempted to try and get them on Zoom. Um, now, Zoom is a really beautiful thing, but everyone doesn't know how to use it. Each site is um, supervised independently, and there was no uh, training prior to when we had to roll Zoom out. Um, so a lot of sites were unable to pick up Zoom, uh, figure out how to connect us with the clients through Zoom, uh, which was a challenge because, um, you know, the people we meet with, like, regularly, we want to check in on them, safety plan, and that kind of was not able to happen because we weren't allowed to leave the office and meet because we had to participate in social distancing, which is understandable, but it made it very challenging to service those clients. Now, the individuals who are um, independently housed, that also had a unique um, set of challenges because a lot of those individuals might not have a cell phone or they have, um, they have phones that they get from the county building that turn off. So they don't have um, consistent communication uh, devices. And that being said, even if they do, they might not be able to use them uh, without support which makes it difficult for them to not only communicate with us, but also um, the county uh, went from being open, having the offices open to suggesting everyone gets online and um, files their claims and takes care of things there, which they didn't really have the access to. Right, so not only you guys in on the staffing level facing your own steep learning curve with Zoom, but you are also trying to support clients who may or may not have had access to phones or computers and almost certainly did not have a, a lot of support or training to go into these new things. And so, and also what you had mentioned is that a lot of people are in that long sequence of applying for things like um, social security insurance for, dis for their disability. And so at some point, like they, they, something else is needed from them, but they may not know what is needed and they may not be able to get into the system to right. move that forward. So that's another level of anxiety for them. What it, where is my, where is my money? Is my money going to come? Is my claim going to move forward? Where is this and who's going to help me understand this? I mean, the level of anxiety for some of your clients and for anyone who is suddenly shut out of their social service network of support must right. be enormous. So in our remaining few minutes, can you just give us a, some of the thoughts that have occurred to you as you think about, you know, going forward, what are some of the really practical ways that we need to be better prepared to support clients? Yeah, so this is something we talked a little bit about when we spoke, and um, there are a lot of things that I think, you know, in the future, we need to um, have some, like, plans um, so that you know, I'm not saying COVID-19 will come back or anything like that, but what if it's a local crisis or something where offices have to close? We need to have some uh, form of stability for the individuals who need it the most. So uh, one thing I think would be really effective is ha finding ways to disseminate information to different groups. Um, so like we were talking about, um, a lot of the people I work with don't have cell phones um, or they might not have reliable phones. So, you know, receiving a call um, and getting 
that information can be challenging. Um, some people might not have TVs. We just need to figure out a way to make sure that all um, information is uh, given to everyone, uh, whether that's information about what's going on with the office or just general information about the CDC guidelines. Because if you're not really watching television, it's really hard to know exactly uh, what you need to do um, and what is fact versus fiction. So that's one piece, I think. And then another piece is, um, you know, providing training and support and even uh, maybe devices um, for technology. Like if we're going to expect individuals who are filing claims with the county or um, social security to be able to switch onto uh, the internet and file those claims, they're gonna need support and training. Um, and this crisis really illuminates the fact that without the support of, you know, maybe a case manager or a, a therapist or someone else that they work with, a lot of individuals don't know how to um, actually look on the computer. So we need to find a way to give them support, actually give them the devices and make sure that they're ready just in case there is another crisis. Yeah. And last but not least, I think uh, making sure that we have emergency plans for individuals. Um, you know, it's always good to emergency plan. And we want to make sure that not only we do a lot of safety planning as far as mental health, but just emergency planning in general, like who is it that I can reach out to? Uh, where where can I go if I need um, additional food or support or just like so that everyone has an idea of um, how to best support themselves when we're in a time of social distancing. Not to say that we're not still supporting them um, in a viral capacity or uh, virtual capacity, but um, you know, finding that support uh, in their communities as well. And so you're really talking about preparing now that, you know, here we are sadder but wiser, COVID-19 changed everything very quickly, and you're making some recommendations about being more prepared with tools and equipment, being more prepared with training and support, and being helping clients be prepared with some of the information they may need to use, not only on the practical level, but also probably on an emotional and, and just kind of human contact level. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think just making sure they know, you know, that there is support and that there will be, you know, it'll be challenging, but there is a tomorrow and, and to provide hope, people tend to feel a lot of hope when they have some uh, preparation and they have some consistency. So we want to provide that when we're in a good time. So when a, a challenging time comes around, uh, people do have that uh, support and something to, to look into. Right. And I will just say that one of the reasons we decided to do this show in this way was because we do know not everybody has a phone or a computer, but some people do have TVs. And so we're hoping that this will get out to folks, not just in Cambridge, Massachusetts, but also really to other people who are at home and wondering what to do um, as they face this. So Brittany, thank you. It's really nice to meet you virtually. Yes, thank you. And um, Look forward to meeting up on the other side of COVID-19. I hope you- Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Okay, thanks.